Matt, welcome to the Science of Hitting podcast. For those of you who don't know me personally, my name's Alex. Uh, I've been investing for about 13 years now, and I write a bunch of articles on Guru Focus, and I also tweet a lot these days, which has been a good way to meet a bunch of smart people, including the guy who's going to be talking with me today. Um, just to kind of lay out the background, this is the first episode of this podcast, and I'm honestly not sure where this is going to go. Um, I'm hoping it'll serve as a platform to, to bring together other long-term investors to talk about specific companies and investment ideas, because I think that'd be kind of unique based on the other podcasts I listen to, but we'll see what happens over time. Um, today's guest is my good buddy, Francisco Oliveira. Francisco was a big contributor to the five-part series I wrote on Disney in the past few weeks. Um, if you haven't read that, you should go read it. That'll definitely help you with today's discussion. Or you can reach out to me on Twitter if you want to find it. Um, he also presented on the company at the Manual of Ideas a few years ago. It's also a presentation you should go watch. Um, but today I wanted to have him on so we could talk about Disney, get his thoughts on where the company stands today, particularly, con particularly considering the fact that you know they're one of the businesses that's probably most exposed to the pandemic. So with that, Francisco, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Alex. This is uh, good to uh, finally chat about Disney and your podcast. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. You've been pushing me to do this for months, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we're finally going to do it. Um, but let me set the stage a little bit before I ask you the first question. Um, you know, the last couple of years, I would say that Disney has been firing on all cylinders, especially in parks and, and studio on the other hand, you know, they've been dealing with pressure from cord cutting. They've been in the early stages of investing in D2C, direct to consumer. Uh, and then as that was all happening, we got sideswiped by the pandemic, which is obviously had a bunch of impacts on the business. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into that. But the first question I wanted to ask you is, as you look forward to the next five years or so, what are you, what are you most optimistic about at Disney? I think the the part and and also you know obviously there's a discussion and I'm and you're very knowledgeable about Disney so it, it'd be nice to get your opinion as well but I think the the most exciting part is is their IP is is incredible even though they're they're shut down from production or and their parks have been they're reopening now but mostly shut down the last few months their their IP is incredible um their their fan base and the love that that people have for the content it, it's still there and it's only growing frankly and you could see that with with disney plus and the subscriber growth that they've got has been helped everyone's at home so that's boosts subscribers a lot so i think the their ip the the future production that they'll have and the growth of disney plus and that you know disney plus is a reflection of that is is what's pretty exciting um and then eventually i think we'll theaters will eventually come back to some, some sort of state of normal and as well as the park. So I, I think those, those will come back to normal and the production and the growth of Di the production of the content, and the growth of Disney plus, I think will be, will be continue to, to grow nicely for, for years to come. How about you? Yeah, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I think, I think the most important things I've, I've read about Disney or, have kind of appreciated about Disney in the past handful of years is, you know, Iger talks about in the book, how he went to 
the opening in Hong Kong. I think it was in 2005. And he was there and he was watching the opening day parade. And he noticed that none of the characters were, were Disney characters that had been created in the past 10 years or so, I think he said. And I think mm-hmm. he realized then and there that they had had really struggled to keep the IP engine going. And he went out and did, you know, the, the three big deals, Pixar in 06, Marvel in 09, Lucasfilm in 2012 for Star Wars. And I think when they did those deals, you can really see today, especially how important those deals are to where the company is. And as you think back, you know, you and I have discussed Berkshire owned Disney through, you know, Cap Cities. And I think part of the reason they sold is because they couldn't get comfortable with the fact that Disney was able to, to keep that going. Um, so, you know, you can, I guess you can, you can view that there's two sides of the coin and the fact that they needed these deals to some extent, but now that they have them done, I think that's incredibly important to the company. And, and as Iger noted in that Barron's interview in early 2019, I don't think anybody else can replicate that model. You know, Comcast has tried and obviously they tried to buy Disney in the, the mid two thousands, but they're, they're not on the same page in my mind. Actually, I don't even think they're particularly close. So that's the part that I think is most important. Yeah, and I think you make a, a good point in, um, there because I think, for example, when, when Buffett sold, I think they might have lost their way a little bit um, in the late 90s or early 2000s. And I think what, what you rightfully say is that I kind of brought the focus back to the business, kind of what, what we're good at. And frankly, what makes the most money and, and, and the best profits. And, right. and, he, and he saw like what you said, he went to the, the opening of, of or, or the parade at Hong Kong and he saw it was just kind of like Pixar characters and they were kind of struggling to, to get a new deal with Pixar, which they didn't own at the time. And he's like, hey, our, kind of our future, you know, if all these you know, Toy Story characters and other Pixar characters in the parks. And that's what kind of is driving the, this, you know, um, love for our brands and we don't own that. And, and that's what, you know, makes the most money for us, you know? Right. I think in the, in the book in Iger's book, I think he says something, you might remember it better than I do. I'm going to paraphrase him poorly, <laughs> but I think he <laughs> says, I think he said in a meeting with the board before the Pixar deal, I think he said, basically, if you don't want to do this, this company is, kind of screwed in certain ways we we have to do this deal yeah i and, think they i think, I think, I, think I think in one of those meetings he did one of these uh got one of these brand studies and apparently the pixar brand you know mothers of of kids under 12 or the range of 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 the kids that most mostly go to these movies um, kind of saw Pixar as a more powerful brand than Disney Animation at the time, and I think that really, you know, that kind of scared him in a sense. Um, so I think definitely, like you said, Iger brought back a focus of of the brands of and adding brands that kind of started this this whole cycle of you know quality content, branded content that you can monetize. Like have you like you've said in your articles and parks consumer products and starts this chain reaction that Disney's just best at. Right, and D to C is, you know, it's kind of funny that they 
got pushed into this in a certain way, or at least it, it certainly felt that way over the last few years. But you you can see now how D to C is is perfect as part of that you know that cycle of what Disney is best at. Absolutely. I mean, basically, they had when they when Disney Plus launched, is kind of what we're both saying. That what, what, why we're most optimistic about Disney is is their their content and how that kind of reflects in the whole company. But one show for Disney Plus, um, a Star Wars show, The Mandalorian, kind of you know lifted everything else, and the library lifted everything else, versus all these other streaming services that are starting. I mean. You can say, you know, you probably can't name many shows or even one show that can come close to The Mandalorian, its impact at launch. And that just goes back to the to the whole branded content, quality content strategy that Iger has has propelled. Yeah, so as we think about, just because that's kind of a natural extension of what you're saying, so you were, you were telling me before we started this that it sounds like Disney will potentially consider taking some of their you know the more marquee content that was going to go through theaters it sounds like they'll at least consider the idea of taking those directly to the streaming service which as you and i have discussed i i think it's a smart business decision in terms of you don't need to press too much because the the theater business is incredibly lucrative and i still think there's value in that second window in terms of being on the dtc service but given the opportunity or in this situation, I think it makes a lot of sense for them to consider doing that. And I, I would assume it would be pretty impactful, maybe not to the extent of something like Hamilton, but I, I think it will be definitely beneficial for the service. I don't know what you think. Yeah, definitely. And I think each, each of these branded kind of studios that are semi siloed within Disney, um, you know, Disney animation, Pixar, Marvel and and Lucas that that has Star Wars, I think Iger kind of went to each one and said how can how can you know you help Disney Plus and fuel it with more content and I think as you go to each, you know Mandalorian was the first live action Star Wars show, and then shortly after the Mandalorian they they continued a Star Wars animation show the Clone Wars they. Mm-hmm. They they launched the last season. It you know they had a couple seasons before Disney Plus, and they put all the shows on Disney Plus, and it, you know launched the last season shortly after the Mandalorian, and then Marvel Studios, um, basically, the Marvel Cinematic Universe was only movies, live action, and theaters, and now they're going into television television shows, live action, and animation, exclusively to Disney Plus. And Pixar's having some branded content and some shorts exclusively on Disney Plus and Disney Animation as well. And basically the studio that contri- that contributes to the Disney Channel is doing programming for Disney Plus. So I think it's, it's changing the mindset and the type of content that the entire company makes in addition to, to the movies that already makes for theaters. Um, and, and, it provided a benefit in the, you know, the pandemic has pluses and minuses because it's pause all production. But the last Pixar movie that was released was like released in like early March. So not many people went to see it because it was quickly shut down and Disney decided to 
put it in Disney Plus really quickly. You know, I'm I'm sure, you know, Disney has this data internally, but I'm sure more people have watched that movie via Disney Plus than than the two weeks it was in theaters before that. So that you know, long story short, yeah, you know the the D to C service Disney Plus has kind of changed the mentality of of all studios within and how they produce content and at at the rate they're producing content, but hopefully not the quality of it. Right. Yeah, I think that's spot on. So, yeah, we're pretty much on the same page there. How about in terms of, as you look out the next five years, what's what's most concerning to you at Disney? I think uh, a couple of things. Um, they, they're relying on a lot of uh, revenue from the, the pay TV bundle in the United States. Um, the biggest component of that is ESPN, which is has positives and negatives as, as as you know well from your from your series and core cutting um is not stopping and and um i think at&t reported this morning and they lost almost a million uh direct tv and and television subscribers through their all all their platforms um a million in the last quarter and it's been kind of that way for the last couple of quarters and the entire industry is headed that way and that's very high margin revenues, recurring revenues for for Disney. Yeah, not to cut you off, but just to put in numbers for people, you know, we were running at two or three percent roughly annualized subscriber losses. This year obviously is impacted by, you know, the economic considerations from the mm-hmm. pandemic, no sports, all that stuff. But the most recent estimates I've seen are suggesting that in the back half of the year, we might be looking at closer to something like a 10% year over year decline, which is obviously a very big number. And someone like Disney is, you know, I, th- I think, you know, somewhere in the range of $15 per month in affiliate fees alone at, as a rough number. So that's definitely impactful when you're losing, you know, millions of subscribers. So not to cut you off, but no, 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 that, that, that was a good, that was a good commentary. Yes. It's, it's basically accelerating the p- pandemic hasn't helped because as you know, the, the biggest, the biggest cost uh, component of the bundle is live sports. And, you know, I think today is opening day of MLB baseball and we've had a couple of, of sports restart NBA next week, potentially, but basically no sports entertainment content as you know, is going uh, mostly uh, through video on demand services. It's, you know, it's getting more, you know, rare for people to tune in for a show at 9 p.m. and turn on the TV and click on the channel. So, you know, Disney relies on a huge, uh, huge portion of its revenues from the media networks. So I think that's a, a big portion of concerns. There are some positives because it's sports, it's the biggest glue to the, the to the bundle. So they'll be able to extract higher uh, pricing as even as if they lose uh, even as they lose subscribers. So I think that's that's the main po- component. I think in the other divisions, you know, I think earlier a couple hours before we started uh, this podcast, Disney announced that Mulan, which was originally about going to be released in, in late March, I believe, uh, and was delayed a couple of times, is now indefinitely out of its uh, theater slate. And, you know, basically 
a huge component of their of their revenues and, and and sizable component of their profits are its studio, which gets a big portion of from of their, of their revenues from theaters. So theater, you know, nobody wants to go to the theater anytime soon or can go to a theater anytime soon. We don't know how long that gets delayed because if you think about it, I mean, the Disney movies because they do so well, their content is so attractive. You know. It, they basically go for home runs, right? So billion dollar mm-hmm. box office hits. And I think we were talking about this the other day. If you take a billion dollars in the box office in terms of ticket sales, you know, that's tens or maybe, you know, maybe a hundred million or more in actual ticket sales. If you think about a hundred million people around the world going to theaters it's just difficult to imagine for, for a long time. And that's going to be a hit um, to Disney. I'm confident that they have the quality content to that'll attract fans, but you know, we don't know it's going to be for, for a couple of years. So I think that's right. Dollars. It's a, you know, what was it last year? I think Disney did 11 billion at the box office. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe half of that is theirs or a little bit higher percentage, maybe 55 or 60%. Exactly. So, exactly. So that was a record of money. Yeah. Right. That they was broke a... their own previous record. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, and I think in the U.S., um, it might have been close to half, or more, more than half of that was in the U.S. alone or North America. So, and hmm. that's a record as well. So that's not going to happen anytime soon. And last year also they had. Basically, all their studios had their marquee franchises release a film. Um, so, in a sense, that was lucky that it ha- that happened last year. But I think that that's an area of concern, and it flows through the parks as well. When are you going to have, you know, theme parks um, jam packed again? The hotels jam packed again, restaurants jam packed again. Um, so that I think that'll take time to ramp up. And I'm not concerned about that, maybe like beyond the five year time frame. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you think about, for example, a Marvel film in which they're all interconnected, if there's a huge pause, you know, it does create pent up demand. But at the same time, you're not creating those new fans in, in the year. So there, there's a right. long pause of them creating the fans. But, so it, it's actually kind of putting a, a positive spin to it. It's kind of advantageous that they already have the D- Disney Plus, the streaming service at this moment, because if they want to switch a movie that they think might not have the potential for a billion plus at the box office, they could put it directly to Disney Plus and it'll, it'll still have a huge impact. Um, not right. not in immediate, immediate dollars and cash flow, but... So I mean, if you think of if if you look at the whole Disney business, they were it's you know it's impactful kind of events, right? The the event of going to um uh, an Avengers movie, a Star Wars movie, a Pixar movie, a Disney movie. It's sort of like an event when when they're released. Um, mm-hmm. The event of going you know a weekend flying to to Orlando, staying at their hotels, you know, dining at their restaurants, shopping at their, at their stores, going to their parks. It's, it's an event. Um, and 
And even even the content being released in Disney Plus, they've kind of wanted to have that event flavor. I think the the head of Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige, referred to his the upcoming um, Marvel shows as kind of event programming. The Mandalorian was kind of an event show, and that's obviously backfired in a in a world where we don't really have event type of things that people are gathering, people are coming together. Um, and content's not being created for the most part. Right. No, I think that's a great point. Um, jumping off your point on, on you know, the bundle and pay TV, you know, sports are starting to come back. Hopefully we're going to have football next month. Um, but as we look to, you know, the next year or so, we're, we're looking at NFL TV rights renewals. Um, a company like Fox, when they did the Disney deal with the assets they were left with, they've been very transparent that their entire philosophy is to to deliver live news and live sports. They're they're betting that part of the bundle essentially will survive, which I think is a a good bet. I mean, I, I view the I view the entertainment programming and the live content as completely distinct businesses. And I think they were, you know, they just happened to be within the bundle together, but now entertainment programming is a service like Netflix is obviously a much better way to consume that product than, as you said, sitting down on Tuesday at 8 PM and watching a 30 minute show with eight minutes of commercials. Netflix is a much better product. It's not so clear to me that that applies to sports for a number of reasons, which I've written about, but just going back to the point of NFL renewals, you know, Fox obviously is very committed to keeping their rights. A CBS Viacom is going to feel the same. Disney has this expensive Monday night football package. Uh, there's some speculation that they may want to do more than that. But as you think about the upcoming NFL renewals, what do you think about Disney's position? And even just generally speaking, how aggressive do you think the Foxes and the CBSs of the world are going to be in terms of defending their position from, you know, maybe an inroad from an Amazon, someone like that, if, if a deal would, would work out. Yeah. I, I think Disney is really well positioned. It's hard to say what they'll try to do, but if you think about it this way, and you might know these numbers better than I do, but I think they pay like on a per game basis, it's probably the, the most expensive package. Um, for mm-hmm. the NFL, I mean Monday Night Football, their annual, their annual payment compared to like Sunday Night Football, it's it's much higher, and and maybe even some of the CBS and Fox contracts, and they're only getting basically a game a week. Um, so I think they kind of see they might have an opportunity. There's been kind of rumblings that they could team up with ABC, which which obviously Disney owns. And and take a package for ABC and another package for ESPN, and and I think they're well positioned to do that. They have the biggest budget out of any out of any sports uh, network or segment of a broadcast that has a budget for sports rights. And I think if they if they you know take down a slice of maybe Sunday games or maybe Thursday games from Fox and have Monday Night Football, it'll make ESPN even more indispensable, and I think they'll have the budget to do that. 
as to the but the hard part is like you said i mean you know cbs is not going to want to lose their package their network depends on having the nfl and they've been good partners to the nfl fox as well and they have thursday night football and and sunday games i think nbc is pretty you know they have a great deal um you know they they pay less than espn and they get uh the sunday night football games that has the probably you know, arguably the game of the week or basically a, a really good head-to-head schedule and it gets some of the best viewership. Um, some Many mm. games are above 20 million viewers during the regular season. So I, it's hard to see any of any of them kind of, you know, not go for the kill because their they're kind of life depends on it. But at the same time, I... You know, the NFL is an extremely smart entity and, and, and knowledgeable about these things. So they might find a way to slice and dice games in a way that everyone gets their, you know, pound of flesh. But, you know, at the same time, they get more money from certain networks um, for a more quality like package of games. I think I mean, I know you, you wrote about this as well. I think it's tough at this moment to, for the NFL to just kind of grant an Amazon an exclusive package. You know, I think I'm not sure the distribution is there. And by that, by that, I mean, I, you know, right now, when you talk about NFL games, you're, you're talking about tens of millions of viewers um, every week. And just the ease of turning on your television even if you don't pay for the bundle, you'll ha- you could have an antenna and get your local game. It's just so easy for the casual person or the mass audience to to obtain to be able to watch that game. That to kind of put a package exclusively on Amazon, where you kind of have to go actively out there to get it. Um, right. What if you don't have a smart TV? What if your smart TV doesn't have the Amazon app? And you right. know, you know you kind of have to be a pretty big, pretty big fan to say like, Hey, you know, if, you know, if I don't have the smart TV, I got to go buy a Roku or Apple TV or whatever to, to get the Amazon app and watch the game. That's probably someone who's already subscribing to the bundle anyways. Right. So it's not right. your, you know, your more laid back fan. And, and, and I think they really care about viewership. Um, because it kind of a cycle, right? It, more viewership, more fans, more affinity for the game. But I think you know it's it's undeniable that Amazon's a player and and they'll want to get their package of games. But to, to, for them to kind of disrupt a Sunday night football, a Monday night football, I think it's difficult for that to happen right now, as of today. Maybe five years from now, potentially. But I think given the rights are going to be negotiated this year. I think this year or maybe early next year. Um, I, I feel I think that's difficult. That doesn't mean they couldn't drive up the price, right, for everybody. So so I think I think everyone kind of their life depends on it in a sense to get that package. But I also think ESPN, especially they partner with ABC is is, is in a good position. But I'd like your, your take on, on that as well. I know you got some good thoughts on that. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um you know, starting with Amazon, I'll get the probably the most controversial one out of the way first. I, I I'm not a big believer that they're going to uh, be be competing for marquee rights on an exclusive basis. And to the extent they do, I'll give myself a bit of an out. I think it'll be very limited. 
So if, if Amazon announced a deal where they got Thursday night on an exclusive basis, I'd be pretty surprised, but I could see that happening. I don't think the NFL would do anything more than one package and it'd have to be very lucrative for them to do so. I, I mean, I think they've shown in the past that they were willing to test, you know, Amazon and, and Twitter as the place where I guess we would call it virtual, um, you know, with, with a, with the stream also on linear TV still on Fox and the viewership is nowhere near. I think it's, I think it was like 20 to one. And I think that a lot of that speaks to what you were just saying in terms of accessing it and the demographics of the audience. And if it's on TV, why would I want to watch it on amazon.com, et cetera. So maybe that would change in an exclusive package, but it's just not clear to me what any of you know, the YouTubes or the Amazons of the world really offer to a league outside of just waving a big check that's going to further their goals long-term. Um, as it relates to ESPN, you know, the Monday night football deal is expensive. So they could consider walking away from it. Um, look at numbers from Goldman. They estimate that it's about 20% of their cable network programming costs. So that's a real amount of money in a world where, you know, your subscriber get, subscriber base might fall five or 10% this year. And, you know, who knows about the years ahead. Um, they could also renew a deal with terms that account for that fact. Um, the problem in my mind is that I think you're bidding against people who, essentially have to have rights. Uh, I, I think in some ways they might stay in their lanes. Uh, a CBS and a Fox would stick to their, you know, Sunday afternoon rights. An NBC would stick with Sunday night and then Disney would have Monday and Fox would have Thursday. I, I, I think there's enough incentive for each of the parties to not disrupt what's already here. So that could you know, be beneficial to some extent in terms of pricing, again, as long as nobody like uh, Amazon comes in and really shakes up the tree. So I do think Disney could live without the NFL. I'm not sure they want to. And But I also think this the inverse is true. I think the NFL, they might not say it, but I think having a relationship with Disney and being very prominently featured on ESPN all year, basically, is still incredibly valuable. So, I don't know. I'm, bit, I'm a bit torn on this. You and I have been talking about <laughs> this question for a few years, and I'm, I'm not sure how far we have got in terms of getting closer <laughs> to the right answer. But I still think it's incredibly interesting to think about. Well, it seems yeah, anything, anything else on that? Well, yeah, it seemed like, it's an interesting point on on completely dropping the NFL because it seemed like the prior um, management team at ESPN, led by John Skipper, might have considered uh, getting out of the NFL business. And when and when he left and Bob Iger, you know, placed Jimmy Pitaro, it kind of seemed like hey, we actually want our relationship with the NFL to improve. So I think they want to be in the NFL business. It helps. It's like you said, I mean, ESPN, it's also, it's a great brand. Everyone knows what ESPN is. I think other networks like NBC has NBC Sports Channel, and I'm pretty sure 
a lot of Americans haven't even heard about that channel or watch, you know, right. hardly watch it. And, and Fox if you don't like the Premier League, you have no reason to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Fox have, has FS1, and that hasn't really kind of gained huge traction either compared to ESPN. And I think, it's like you said, ESPN is a promotional vehicle as well. Like having uh, them on SportsCenter and other shows promote the NFL, put out documentaries about the NFL, have talk shows about the NFL. You know, they have, you know, pr- pretty popular fantasy football NFL podcasts and NFL podcasts in general. Um, it, it, it helps, you know, and when – Probably, this is like I think a, a, a deal I don't know you know how big of a deal this is but I think every time somebody wins the Super Bowl they say I'm going to Disney World and they take them to Disney and I, I'm sure the NFL likes that and obviously Disney loves that uh-huh. so there's a lot of things they can benefit from each other and um, and so I think I think it makes sense to partner with each other so we'll see I mean Disney's a smart entity. They can maybe drop other sports rights to accommodate for the NFL. And the NFL's huge leverage on, on increasing pricing in the bundle. If they lose Monday Night Football or the NFL in general, it's kind of hard for them to, you know, go back to their to the cable distributors and say, hey, I want a price hike. Um, I want more distribution. Um, it gets a little bit yeah. more difficult. Yeah. I mean, they still have a lot of really good live content between, you know, college football playoffs and they have a big deal with the NBA. They have certain MLB rights. They obviously have college rights. But, yeah, I I do agree with you. The one thing I find interesting about the other leagues, you know, the NFL, obviously there's Sunday ticket, and we'll see what happens with that. Um, and maybe that could play into what I'm about to say. But the interesting thing to me about the NBA and the MLB and the NHL is there's so many games over the course of the season, and obviously a ton of them are played, you know, on the same nights. So the out-of-market packages, I've talked about ESPN Plus before in articles, and I still think it's, you know, very early days. But I still think there's a big opportunity to more effectively essentially distribute those out-of-market packages or to give people access to them, people who would be interested in watching what they offer Um, and maybe Disney between ESPN, ABC and ESPN plus can, can try to further, you know, for both parties, further that goal. It might, you know, might expand their reach. Obviously it might come at a lower price point as well. You're not going to pay, you know, they're not going to get the $200 that they're getting right now for the out of market packages, but they could maybe increase their audience by being part of a bundle like ESPN plus. So I, I still think it's really early days on that, but I do think there are some things there that could be interesting over time, but I guess we'll just have to see. Definitely. Um, so I'll move on from that. So we spoke before about, you know, the, the three big acquisitions under Iger, Pixar, Marvel and Lucasfilm. Uh, the last deal he did in terms of acquiring basically content was Fox. And, you know, so far we've had a few bumps in the road with the studio. Obviously COVID hasn't helped as with everything, but from where we stand today, what do you think about that deal? Do you, do you still think it was, it was a smart move? I personally think it was a smart move. Um, 
And, you know, you can get into questions on valuation and whether it was the best use of capital. But I think it kind of guaranteed that they're going to be a huge player in content and will have a lot of muscle going forward for many, many years. If you think about it, um, I think the big components of that deal were, one, adding more IP, intellectual property to kind of fuel the Disney machine of movies, parks, consumer products. Um, direct-to-consumer Disney Plus. And you can see that with, with some of the Marvel rights that Fox had. They have X-Men. They have Fantastic Four, Deadpool, Planet of the Apes, the Avatar movies, which actually in Animal Kingdom in Florida, there's a big Avatar land that Disney has. That was a deal that was struck a couple of years prior. Right. Think the second part of that deal that's really attractive is that Fox has a really good television studio. Um, they've done really good shows like Homeland, This Is Us, and and several others. And I think they saw that as a, a very it's not the branded content strategy that Disney has, but I I believe Iger saw that as as a must have in this environment in direct to consumer. Um, in order to feel more quality program television show, television shows for Disney and Hulu. I think the the third component, and I'll get back to Hulu, which is the fourth component. The third component, I think, is getting more international assets. Fox had good assets in in, in Latin America, in India. Um, Star India is an incredible asset with a really good direct to consumer business in Hotstar. At the time the deal was first announced, it also included Sky, which is an interesting business, but Fox ended up taking that part of the deal. Um, but but adding a big television group in Asia and India was pretty strategic and with a big direct-to-consumer focus. And the last part was was getting even stronger in direct-to-consumer platforms and that the biggest component of that was Hulu, also Hotstar, but Hulu. And you, you, you get stronger in direct-to-consumer with, with Hulu and Hotstar. You get stronger in, in having television and production capabilities with the Fox studios. You get more IP that is basically the bread and butter of, of Disney, right? And, and, and you grow more international. Mm -hmm. So I think if you look at it from that lens, I think it's a deal that'll, that makes a ton of sense for Disney is going to guarantee that they're going to be one of the biggest, uh, biggest content studios and in the world, and also as a huge library. And and I think it, it fuels Disney Plus, it fuels Hulu's, and fuels all their ambitions. The the part of it that is not as attractive is, well, they they got in a bidding war of Comcast. I don't think that deal was as. Ex is as expensive as it's quoted. I think it's still quoted in the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg, et cetera, the 70 billion plus deal, nearly 80 billion. But mm -hmm. there's a couple assets there that they had to sell, like Sky, which they didn't get, and, and the uh, the Fox Sports regional sports channels, which you might think mm -hmm. is a good thing that they had to sell those potentially. Um, right. So they had to, you know, I think all in all, it was really kind of like a 50 something billion dollar deal. And, you know, you take control of Hulu, which is that's worth a lot of money. You get a lot more IP, which I think that's worth a lot of money. You get a, one of the best television studios in the world in the Fox uh, studios. 
um, which that's worth a lot strategically in and of itself for, for Disney to continue to make content for its direct-to-consumer platform. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we might look back in a couple of years and Star India and Hotstar being worth tens of billions of dollars and might just justify, you know, the entire deal. You know, India, you know, second most populous country in the world, um, I believe. And, and you know, if, if I'm mistaken on that, correct me. But with a huge uh, kind of base of, you know, quality content, Bollywood, also huge sports affinity with with uh, mm-hmm. cricket, which, which Hotstar right. has and Star India has the rights for that. So it can be like a a major force down the road in and of itself. So, I, I mean, it's had its hiccups. They they had to, they got in a bidding war. They had to divest some assets. Some of the Fox movies that came out of the gate were, were basically uh, box office bombs. Um, so there were things that, you know, you know, you have to lay off a bunch of people. You have to restructure. It takes time to kind of get these businesses running, right, the way you want them right. to run. And you know, putting together a, a movie slate, getting this TV studio to to invest in the content that you want. Um, you know, aligning Hulu with Disney Plus. There's a lot of work to be done. It's really messy, um, but I think down the road it'll look like a no-brainer. I mean, if you look at you know the other side of the coin, uh, yeah, Disney has quality IP and quality content, but they would they would basically be um, without a very high quality television studio and and solely reliant on the IP that they have. It's always good to have even more quality IP and they wouldn't be as uh, diversified globally, which I think in this world, you need to have a huge global distribution, you know, global distribution is the name of the game. Um, It's why we have, you know, several trillion dollar companies is because they're global. And in the content game that Netflix is playing, it's a global game. So, you know, I think it's, you know, not necessarily a, a, a deal where you're paying, you know, in hindsight, five times earnings or anything like that. But it, it is a deal that will keep, keep them in, in the game with the biggest players globally and will make them a much stronger business as, as the years go by. How about you? Yeah, those are a lot of good. I think those are a lot of really good points. Um I don't have a ton to add. Uh, one interesting side note from, from my experience here, I invested in Fox originally. Well, one I, one, I thought it was cheap, but two, I thought the really good assets were one Fox, this is 21st century Fox going back a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the really good assets were Fox news, which has certainly earned its keep and keeps, you know, uh, delivering strong affiliate fee rate increases. But the other one was the RSNs and I, th- I think obviously I own I own Disney now through that deal, through the Fox acquisition. But I, th- I think in hindsight, maybe my thoughts on the RSNs were either too optimistic or just misguided. I, th- I think we've seen subsequently that some some of that hasn't been as strong as at least I personally thought it was. Um, that's just a side note. Um, in terms of the deal overall, yeah, I think you know Avatar is it it feels old because it's been so long since the movie came out, the first one. But the fact that Disney wanted to get it in Animal Kingdom, I think says a lot. Obviously it was it was a huge hit at the box office and they'll they'll move that forward and 
considering how well it did last time, there's probably a decent chance that they can they can make that make that huge once again. Uh, the Simpsons, which is kind of funny, doesn't seem like something that kind of fits with the Disney Plus brand image overall. But as far as I know, that's that's been really good at, in terms of engagement on the platform. Um, you know, they have the things they've done with Marvel that you know a lot a lot more about than I do in terms of some of the rights there. Um, quick side the international note. assets. Go ahead, quick, go ahead. Quick side note: The Simpsons constantly trends like either one or two in Disney right. Plus. It's one of the. It's probably. I mean, it's it's a different version of The Office or you know stuff like that that you can you can watch it a lot if you really want to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what they have like twenty something seasons or more. It's yeah, they have. A, I think it's the longest running show currently on TV, I think. I think that's correct. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so they got, you know, got those assets. They got to where they want to be with Hulu, which we'll see. You know, that was the first step towards them getting to where they're going to be now, where they're going to become a hundred percent owner. And we'll see how that plays out. I still have some question marks on that, but I've been using the product more and I think it's, it's definitely improved. So, and obviously the sub numbers are, they're not bad. So we'll see how that trends internationally. Yeah. Hot star and star Fox have talked about those for years. They seem to be very strong assets with good growth, help Disney with D to C as they entered that market. Um, I think overall the assets are pretty good. As you pointed to the price tags, a bit of a question, but there's also adjustments you need to make in terms of that to get to the true amount that they paid. And then some of the stuff with the studio, I mean, it's just so early to worry about two or three movies that didn't live up to expectations. Just seems short-sighted to me. So I, I think they just need more time, but it's, it's definitely not a slam dunk, at least not yet in my mind. Uh, yeah. uh, that, I, think, <laughs> I think what was, I was going to say is that um, what attracted a lot of negative headlines on the Fox deal was what you were saying that the film slate that they had was not the best and it was a bunch of movies that they paid a lot of money for and kind of just bombed at the box office. Right. And, you know, so when you're when you start a quarterly earnings and you have to say, hey, your studio didn't perform as well because when you add the Fox films, they're losing money and ours are making money. So kind of makes everything look worse. But I think that's it's obviously a short term thing. Once they close the deal, basically the Disney studios absorbs that studios and they kind of work together on establishing a new slate. So I think one of the things Bob Iger says that you got, you kind of really have to look about, you know, look down two, three years down the road to see the movies that we put together for theaters using the Fox assets. But yeah, it's, it's messy. It's not, not necessarily a slam dunk like a, like a Marvel, you know, when you think about it, Marvel's a $4 billion deal and Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War together, you know, made, you know, close to $5 billion at the box office. Um, yeah, it's crazy to think about in hindsight what they paid for some of those assets. So it's, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. But, but you know, I, think, I mean, it all speaks to the value of the, as we talked about, though, it speaks to the the machine, for lack of a better term. I mean, those assets would not have been as valuable, anywhere near as valuable outside of Disney, in my mind. No, no way. They, 
you know, Marvel Studios, they kind of finance themselves. They work with other distributors like Paramount, Universal. You know, mm-hmm. they have their way of thinking, but they also have to work with other studios. I mean, let alone kind of having everything nicely now in a in a direct-to-consumer platform and and a promotional vehicle that includes them in parks and boosts consumer products and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, you know, under Disney, it's just a, it's a franchise uh, money-making machine. And I think when you have that plugged in, it's just, and, and, and the cost of that was so low relative to, to the, the real reach Disney can, can get with those assets. But I think the Fox deal, just kind of to summarize, I mean, is a high price. It's going to be messy. It's going to be, take time to reflect its true value. But but I think down the road, it, it would look like something that was maybe even a necessity. Um, not not super necessity, but I think something that would really, you know, kind of transform their business in, in a positive way. Right. Interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how that goes over the next few years, especially on Hulu. Um, all right. I don't think I have anything. I was going to ask you a couple fun questions. Unless you, do you have anything else or no? Um, no. Well, wh- why are you skeptical, skeptical about Hulu? That's, that's kind of a, I'll ask you a question. I think part of it is just understanding um, an appreciation for how the, the brand became a bit screwed up at a time when Netflix was doing so well and was doing what they did well, better and better in my eyes. Hulu was hamstrung by most likely its ownership structure. Um, and it it wasn't entirely clear to me what the value proposition was. It was almost like a second-rate version of Netflix, which may or may not be fair, but that was at least the perception I had. And I, you know, based on subscriber numbers, I I would assume that at least other people felt that way to some extent. So, you know, I think it's Disney's, I'm still somewhat confused how it will run parallel to Disney plus, but the fact that they're most likely going to sell all of this in the Disney bundle with Disney plus Hulu and ESPN plus, I guess that makes that kind of irrelevant. Um, But you know, it's, it's a very different, it's a very different game to win than coming to market with, you know, a collection of best in class IP and, studios basically which is what disney plus is so it's less clear to me that that wins long term yes disney plus in my mind mm-hmm. is almost a shoe in at this point to be very successful over time that's right so, so anyways internationally i think it's it's a uphill battle for for hulu right and- right what i think is part of the reason why they were so interested and in i'm just not sure it's going to work but Interesting. i hope i'm proven wrong Interestingly, <laughs> in in the U.S., Hulu's helping Disney Plus in a sense with the bundle, and and maybe internationally, Disney Plus is what's going to help Hulu kind of gain more subscribers. So I think that right. And anecdotally, I would never have signed up for Hulu before, but I now have it as part of the bundle. And there's some shows I like on there that I started watching, and I you know I watched one of their original movies and. So there is something to be said for being part of that bundle and maybe getting some trial from that. So maybe they'll make it work. Yeah. 
All right. A couple more questions for you. Some, some short, fun ones. Um, first one, will Iger be the CEO of Disney at any point in the future? <laughs> I think never say never, but um, I mean, I don't think he's going to be in title in terms of the title CEO. Okay. I don't think so he, he will be, just not on the business card. I think, I, I think he might be executive chairman for some time, and I think he's, you know, as you as you know, like he basically negotiated the NBA deal uh, to to establish the the bubble in Orlando. I think he negotiated to have Hamilton, you know, avoid the theatrical release and go to Disney Plus. I think he directly, you know negotiated the deal uh, for Colin Kaepernick to have an overall deal with Disney television studios and particularly to make content for ESPN. That's, that's not Chapik. That's all Iger and his relationships. And I think, Mm -hmm. I think he's going to be active in that sense for, you know, I think he's said through 2020 through 2021, but I can imagine a, a scenario where, he might stay as executive chairman and he's basically kind of the uh, pulling all the strings, but I don't right. think in title, I don't think he's going to go back to being CEO in title. And I think when there was, some, there was, I think this New York times article basically saying that JPEG is not the CEO, blah, blah, blah. And a couple of days afterwards, um, they named him to the board because when they named JPEG as CEO, he wasn't named to the board of directors which I thought that was kind of funky. But after some mm-hmm. media speculation came out like, hey, Chapix, you know, maybe he's not the CEO, you know, doing the real moves and the real de- making the real decisions. But I grenade him to the board two seconds later. So I don't think he'll be go back to being CEO. But, you know, how long will he stay there as kind of the big strategic mind, the big negotiator, you know, the big picture guy making gigantic moves, negotiating, you know, the next big star Wars movie or, or, or Marvel, et cetera. Um, I think he might be, I, I wouldn't count out him staying as executive chairman beyond his contract, but let's see. I think we'll see. Yeah, I hope he continues to do what he did in the past, which is not retire when he says he's going to. I would hope he sticks. <laughs> I hope he sticks around as executive chairman for many years. Uh, I think he's a very, very valuable addition to the company. Agreed. Um, and I think it's valuable for him to train Chapik to to kind of grow because I think Chapik, everything that I read, he's you know very good operator and very good numbers guy. I don't think it's as appreciated how good Iger is in terms of the numbers. Um, people see him as his, you know, very, uh, you know, very fine groomed guy um, who, who can sell very well and negotiate and, and, and do big, take big swings. But I think he's a very deep into the numbers uh, at the end of the day. And I think Chapik seems to me he's in that mold, but not, not in the, at the level that he's kind of, you know, giving notes on movies and negotiating contracts for a big time director and things like that. So, but right. it's, it's good that he stays to groom Chapik into that role. If you know, yeah, I think that's correct. I agree. 
Um, okay, next one. Today, Disney and Netflix both have comparable market caps, right around $210 billion. Ten years from now, who will be the more valuable company, Netflix or Disney? Oh. Um... Assume. Or you can plead the fifth if you're if any of these questions are too hard hitting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would have to say Disney. Um, with the caveat, assuming Netflix doesn't, you know, do some crazy deal like buying Spotify or or adding, mm. adding like a bigger strategic asset um, that'll help their their business. I would assume Disney because if you if you think Disney could could get, you know, even fifty percent of the global subscribers that Netflix can get in similar economics, while at the same time you have the parks, consumer products, um, you know, ESPN, and even the revenues that you get in the studio, um, that's just worth so much money that. Um, and generate so much cash flow and value that I think it's hard for me to see Netflix being worth um, more than Disney if I had to I have to make a choice. Um, right. I, would well, I was just thinking right now, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of this previously. Maybe Netflix can come Disney's direction and how they can do that is they can go to Comcast and buy, a, buy NBCU if Comcast decides that they don't really want to put their muscle behind D to C maybe Netflix can buy their way into theme parks and, and that, that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm partly kidding, but <laughs> I, mean, I know a lot of Comcast holders would be happy to see that because they're not a fan of NBCU, but. <laughs> well, th- think about, I mean, that's, you know, I've never thought about that and I know you're probably kidding, but at the same time, it's not a crazy idea. I mean, imagine it, right. you know, it, it, you know, Netflix would be probably issuing a lot of stock to do that. Um, maybe not a huge amount relative to their market cap, or a crazy amount relative to their, mar- their market cap, and they can get parks and some other assets. And I think they could, you know, you know, it could it could work really well for Netflix. But I think, I mean, it seems to me that down the, you know, Netflix will, you know, they they they're very focused, but at some point, um content monet uh amortization and their income statement is going to reach the cash spend something that you know you pointed out to me really well in their in their shareholder letter this past quarter and when, mm-hmm. when that happens it just becomes a cash cow and it's hard for me to imagine that culture just staying as a cash cow type of business so you never know if in 10 years they might decide to add other assets but i i mean I said, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't necessarily bet on that, but I don't think it's impossible. And I, you know, I mean, they're clearly focused on trying to, you know, build their own brands or at least their own, you know, series, I guess you could say, but they've, they've talking at great length about wanting to be a major player in animation. Um, we'll see. I mean, I, I think you, if you start looking down that road, you could see how if they start having brands that, real brands that people care about, they'll think about trying to monetize those in other ways, but maybe they might not go alone on that front because they seem to be pretty dead set on executing on, on the opportunity in front of them, much to their credit. In my opinion, I think, I think that's very smart in a lot of ways. I agree, but, but I do, I do think they, they, no, I agree with that hundred percent, but they have tiptoed like 
into some other avenues like um stranger things i think has some comics they bought a comic book <laughs> asset um they also right. i think in in universal actually they had a like a like a you know spooky kind of you know i don't know it wasn't a ride but like kind of a uh an event thing that they had with stranger things no, oh, during like Halloween Horror Nights or something. Exactly during Halloween Horror Nights, there's some <laughs> Stranger Things event in, in Universal. Right. So I, I, they do think about those things, and I'm sure they would love to get a hit animate animated movie that would sell pajamas, lunch boxes, you know, action figures, etc. Um, so you know, they're definitely you know, I think they, they, I think they even said in this last quarterly call that they want to have franchises which is kind of funny because they played down the franchise uh thing a couple a couple quarters ago but i think they do see the value of that but if you look at disney and you say well they could you know get at least half the half of the economics of the the netflix business then and the parks are you know can keep growing and consumer products etc i think Disney should be worth more and they generate way more cash flow in a normalized environment today. But at the same mm-hmm. time, if you look at net, you know, if they keep their eye on the ball and they keep executing and they get to 300 or nearly 400 million subscribers, if pricing could go to 15 bucks a month, if content spend can, can reach its limit, maybe, you know, 20, 30 billion, you run some of those numbers, it's a, it's a lot of cash flow. Uh, yeah. Depending so, on the assumptions you throw in there, you can get some very big numbers. You can get some very big numbers. So it's, I, I would bet on Disney here, but I think they can both do well. And I wouldn't be shocked if, it, if it's Netflix with a bigger market value. Yeah, I think my perspective is I'm, I'm very confident that what Disney is doing is going to work. Um, I'm less positive in terms of what what that ARPU is specifically at the end of the day on these D to C services. Um, it, cl- it certainly looks like a, a global D to C service can have, you know, in excess of 200 million paid subs. I mean, Netflix is already close to that. If I have my numbers correctly, I think they're around 185 million or so. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you can get those ARPUs up, you can have a very good business. We're, we'll, we'll find out as more of these services come out and some of them have some pretty good, you know, collections of brands and shows and movies and catalog and such. Um, we'll see what happens with that pricing. I'm, I'm more confident betting on the company that I think has the best brands in the world than the most effective means for monetizing those brands through various channels. So Agreed. Uh, okay, next one. We have two more. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Apple to acquire Disney in the next five years. Definitely not happening, maybe, or likely. Oh, man. <laughs> Apple or, or Amazon or some, let's say, a big tech company. There's probably only two or three that would really be interested. I think Apple's probably the most likely, but pick whichever one you'd like. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's unlikely I think it's unlikely. I think before the Fox deal, I think it was more likely because it's, you know, it's it's not so many assets and it's not as messy. Um, but 
especially now that they have Disney Plus doing so well. I mean, as a Disney shareholder, you don't really need, you don't really, it doesn't, having Apple doesn't necessarily make your business all that better. Like, I don't think you're necessarily going to sell more theme park tickets or buy more frozen dresses and dolls for your, for your uh, kids. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I could boost, boost Disney plus, but I mean, they've worked out a fine deal with Apple and they've got a lot of distribution on the Apple side. It's not clear to me why they want to have, you know, a theme park business, a bunch of television studios, um, and basically managing an operation with, you know, hundreds of uh, thousands of employees. Um, and it, you know, the only reason you would say, well, Apple has Apple TV plus and it's not doing as well. And they, they need a lot of quality content, but are they going to pay, you know, 200 billion plus a, a nice premium for that? Not sure it makes a lot of sense for Apple. I think if, mm-hmm. Apple, if if Apple could acquire Disney Animation, Disney Live Action, Marvel, and Star Wars, just those brands, I think they would do it in a in a heartbeat, right? But right. Disney's just a lot more than that, and and I'm not sure. I mean, you might even need to break this thing apart. I'm not sure, you know with this regulatory environment and, you know, big tech being criticized, not sure Apple wants to, you know, be in a battle with the DOJ and things like that. Right. That's a good point. But in theory, just if I think uh, Apple would probably love to have those brands and it's kind of a, you know, reuniting Pixar with, with, you know, Apple, I mean, Steve jobs passed away, but, kind of the spirit of those of those companies are similar in nature but i don't know i don't think it's practical uh, practical that for for either of them but as a, as a disney shareholder if if apple wants to pay 250 dollars per share you know i'm not i'm not gonna cry about it either <laughs> <laughs> fair enough i won't either yeah let us know let us know if tim cook if you want it for 250 a share we can we could do a deal we we do have <laughs> It, it, it's important for the podcast listeners here. Now we do have a sort of a side bet that if uh, if Apple does acquire Disney, I would buy a a replica uh, Baby Yoda kind of life <laughs> life size figure that I think costs over three hundred dollars. <laughs> but I would I would proudly buy that for you if if Apple acquires yeah. Disney. Well, how about you? Now that you're now that you're describing it, that sounds terrifying to have that thing in my room, but I would, I, I would accept it as part of the, as part of the bet. Um, yeah, for me, it comes down to, to watching Apple's thoughts on content and how their strategy continues to evolve. Um, you know, they've done what, what for them amounts to a, you know, a immaterial bet. I don't, I don't know what the numbers are. Let's call it a billion dollars. Um, and, you know, they have some exclusive shows and I think they're toying with it and trying to figure out exactly, you know, outside of just running the app store, what services means to their business and to what extent does it involve, 
you know, offering subscription services like Apple Music or, you know, literally supplying their own content for a video service. To the extent they believe that's an intelligent strategy, I don't think it's a leap to think that they would consider buying some of the best content in the world. Um, obviously, it would depend on the price tag, but they, you know, they're they're spitting off fifty or sixty billion dollars a year and in, in free cash flow. So they have the financial wherewithal to do a very very large deal if it if it made sense to them. I don't think they're there yet, but I think we'll see how their video strategy evolves over the next you know handful of years. But I'd probably agree with you. As of right now, it's still in the unlikely in the unlikely area. Agreed. I mean, it's a good, uh, good of a time as any, I mean, for, for Apple to, to, to kind of, kind of sneak in there and buy Disney, but, but there's still a lot of think stars that need to align before, before we come close to that happening. Um, right. But as Disney plus becomes more successful, I think it becomes, you know, more unlikely or at least the price tag is just going to keep going up in theory. Yeah, I think you're right. So, all right. Well, on that note, when we first started this, my idea was maybe it'd be, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, I, I think we're <laughs> at an hour, an hour 10 right now. So, but I thought, it, I thought it was a really good discussion and thanks for coming on. And to the extent this podcast becomes something, you'll be on here a lot. So good talking with you, Francisco. Good talking to you too, Alex, and it was great to be on your podcast. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, and thanks to anybody who managed to listen all the way to the podcast at this point. There's probably about five of you, but I appreciate it. And <laughs> be back soon with more. Have a good one. Perfect. Have a good one.